0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air, I'm Don Marsh. Today we're going to be talking about a controversy that has stalked professional football for two years and raised some significant legal questions for employers and employees. In 2016, Colin Kaepernick, a quarterback with San Francisco's 49ers, took a knee during the national anthem protesting racial injustice issues. Many NFL players later followed suit. The NFL tried to establish rules for anthem ceremonies but pulled back as civil rights organizations challenged their right to do that. What are the rights of protest? With me in studio is St. Louis attorney Mitch Margo, general counsel for the Missouri Valley Conference and the author of Black Heart's, White minds, Mitch. Great to have you in the studio.
1: Thanks for inviting me in, Don.
0: Is there a right side or a wrong side to this uh, NFL controversy?
1: Well, I think that each side has certain legal issues in their favor. Uh, I certainly come down on the fa- on the uh, side of players' rights to make a political statement. Uh, but this is not your usual employer-employee relationship, Don. Why not? Well, because most of the time an employer can fire an employee at any time for any reason or no reason. Uh, they're called at-will employees. But these are not your usual employees. Uh, this, the NFL is made up of uh, very powerful uh, owners and a very powerful players' union. And they have what's called the collective bargaining agreement where they've agreed to abide by their own rules, not by the general rules that might guide state employment. And there's
0: also another very powerful figure lurking on the sidelines, as it were, and that's the president of the United States who's gotten himself into this big time.
1: He certainly has insinuated himself into the argument, but really when it comes right down to it, he doesn't have much to say about it. Uh, One of the owners uh, tweeted something that I enjoyed when the president last got involved. Uh, he tweeted after that, uh, thank you so much. We'll take it from here. Right. Let's
0: talk a bit about that collective bargaining agreement and the, and the role that it plays here. If you would elaborate on that, what what it uh, says in, in be, on behalf of the players and what it says on behalf of the owners.
1: Well, what it is, Don, it's a, it's a very long, complicated document. But sure. in essence, in this particular situation, what it says is that the players' union bargaining on behalf of the players – and the owners agree that when they make decisions involving employment, payment, and other parts of a, of the NFL players' uh, employment with the NFL, uh, that they'll negotiate. And they'll uh, either abide by the rules that they have in place. And if they get to something that doesn't necessarily – isn't necessarily covered by one of the rules they have in place, they'll negotiate to try and figure out a, a resolution. And that's where we are right now. A few weeks ago, the owners – uh, unilaterally imposed new rules and thought that they could get away with it. Uh, but, of course, they haven't.
0: From a legal standpoint, does it, does it seem that the players are in a stronger position on this?
1: I don't know that there's a stronger position, but certainly uh, the NFL is a business. And when it comes right down to it, uh, in America, businesses are there to make money. And this, this is the entertainment business, by the way. And I think that if sponsors start pulling out, if fans say they're not going to go to games anymore, then I think the Players Association and the owners will get together and figure out a way to resolve this. Uh,
0: what about uh, something, uh, businesses other than the NFL? Let's just take any kind of a corporation you might uh, want to bring up. How is it different then for, let's say, a uh, General Motors or Express Scripts, or
1: or even make it a small KWMU or my law firm, if you will? Right, sure. uh, generally, we have state law, and in in the state of Missouri, uh, everybody is an at-will employee, meaning they're employed at the will of the employer, unless they've reached some other agreement. Uh, they have a contract that is mm-hmm. different. So as I said earlier, uh, the boss can fire an employee for any reason or no reason, with some exceptions. You can't fire someone because they're African-American, and you can't fire someone because they're old. Uh, But other than that, that's the major difference between a regular company and an NFL kind of company where they've agreed to collectively bargain.
0: Where does the First Amendment come
1: into this, or does it? The First Amendment does not come into this. Uh, It's it's appealing for people to to think that the First Amendment says I can speak anytime I want and you can't do anything about it and there are no ramifications. But that's not the First Amendment. The First Amendment says that the government cannot prevent you from speaking. There's no government involved here. There's a little inkling that a government might be involved when you're talking about – uh, the speech taking place in a stadium that's been public, f- publicly fina- financed, or in this case, a little bit more if you're talking about the Green Bay Packers, because that is a public company. But really, it's just a tiny little inkling of, uh, of a government involvement. And so the First Amendment is not, uh, 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 is not involved here.
0: Would this have the potential, do you think, to go uh, to the Supreme Court for clarification?
1: i don 't think so, because I think that the the players and the players' union and the owners are going to work this out, and there are so many levels that they would have to go through the National Labor Relations Board, uh, contract lawsuits in the state courts or federal courts. I, I don 't think it's going to get there. I think they're going to figure out a way to get along, much like the NBA has done their players' union, and the owners get along spectacularly well.
0: uh, During this early preseason, there have been some other instances of raising the the Black Power fist, if you will, as well as uh, as taking a knee. Uh, So this goes on. I mean, the players are really challenging this.
1: Well, I am of the opinion that if the owners can screw something up, they will. Uh And they have because, again, a few weeks ago they tried to unilaterally impose the restrictions. And uh, pun intended, they tried to make an end run around the collective bargaining agreement – by saying that we're changing the game day rules, uh, which is not part of the collective bargaining agreement. And you can see how well that went over. The players still protested. The owners then backed off. And now perhaps they, were, they are getting together and discussing a resolution.
0: I, in getting ready for this interview, I came across something I didn't know. And that is that in the 40s, the Supreme Court did rule that no one can be compelled to participate in a patriotic ritual.
1: Absolutely. And now we're getting into a realm that's uh, outside of this particular NFL instance. That's 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 the case. And that's why things like flag burning is allowed because while it may be offensive to some, it's so very important to be able to uh, state how you really feel about something in the United States. That's That's what we're based on.
0: Well, the question is, I guess, is this taking a knee – um, uh, a, a, a patriotic or non-patriotic event?
1: Well, that's a, that's a very good question. People have tried to make it patriotic. I don't think it's patriotic. I think it's all about the issue. And here's how I could d- demonstrate that for you. I think that if a group of conservative NFL football players announced today that on Sunday during the national anthem, they're going to touch the helmet with their right hand, and that signifies that they are pro-life Everyone who's against the players taking a knee now would call these new protesters great patriots.
0: Well, another player, a single player, Tim Tebow, uh, got a lot of attention because he would take a knee during the course of the game to pray. And no one uh, complained about that, even though it was a religious gesture.
1: Yes, that's true. He did not do it during the national anthem. uh, But he absolutely was making a political statement during a professional football game on television.
0: And also, taking a knee has always been uh, something that has has been let me what 's the best way to put this? I mean, uh, perhaps even President Trump would not be offended if someone walked into a room and dropped to one knee
1: <laughs> as, as they
0: did with kings and with clergy
1: a different knee altogether yeah.
0: Well, um, so we just waited out, I guess, until the uh, the deal is worked out between uh, the NFL and, and the players.
1: I think currently, as of today, before this coming Sunday, and who knows what's going to happen on Sunday, uh, I think the owners have agreed to stand down and negotiations are ongoing. And, and by the way, negotiations were ongoing before the owners imposed their unilateral rules to try and figure out a way in which the NFL can express uh, – And the players can express their desires for – against police brutality or whatever other uh, issues are important to them. Remember, the the employees of this company are 70 percent African-American and the owners are virtually all white males. Mm -hmm. So – they need to figure out how they're going to be able to exist together.
0: And it, it should also be pointed out that the players have a high visibility potential off the football field. Uh, they could go out and lobby and make statements and go on television and the radio and all the rest of it right. to make their point.
1: Absolutely. Uh, they can. But keep in mind also, uh, this is perhaps a not the best analogy, but... The white supremacists last Sunday marched and where did they end up? At the White House. And the reason they ended up at the White House was to get the most attention. Black players uh, who want to get the most attention for a cause that they believe in and that, frankly, I believe in will take a knee or raise their fist during the National Anthem because that's when they'll get the most attention.
0: Has this uh, issue uh, bled into the college realm by any chance?
1: I haven't seen anything in the college realm, but uh, it, there was a situation, a uh, case back in the late 60s when this came up, and many uh, college athletes were expressing a, a black power uh, uh, they were raising their fists and, uh, before and during the National Anthem. And many colleges just decided to stop playing the National Anthem at college games, which, by the way, is an interesting solution to this whole problem. One has to wonder, why do we play the National Anthem if it's really that important at sporting events?
0: Why do we play the National Anthem at sporting events?
1: I think part of the the NFL is being hoist on its own petard uh we we like to hook up our entertainment and our sports entertainment to patriotism and to the united states it's our game it's america's game and and sell it that way remember it's a business and they're the entertainment business mm. they're selling uh now they're finding that that selling of patriotism is coming back to bite them
0: i'm i'm not sure of the answer to this question you may not be either or you may be but it seems to me that that it started during one of our wars at, at sporting events as a
1: patriotic gesture. I don't know the answer okay. to that, Don.
0: That would be interesting to uh, interesting to find out. Uh, going back to the college situation, what rights would uh, colleges have to take action against? their student athletes if, in fact, this uh, were to
1: occur? I don't know that it's a matter of rights under the law. I think you might be able to make a distinction between a public university and a private university. But again, what would be the point of suspending or uh, throwing out a college athlete from a game uh, because that college athlete wanted to express a political view. Uh, I think they'd have to, again, the best course would be to figure out a way to, to resolve that issue where everybody could, one, express their political views, and two, compete in what's supposed to be fun. Uh, remember, when you're talking about especially college sports and amateur athletics, at least in theory, those are supposed to be fun. Yeah.
0: I have to take a break. We're talking with Mitch Margo, who is a local attorney. Uh, he's also author of a book, Black Heart, White Minds, by the way. We'll talk about that a little bit later. It has nothing really to do with the issue that we're talking about primarily here, about the uh, the protesting within the uh, National Football League, but we'll talk a little bit about that book because it looks very, very interesting. Back in a moment, if you'd like to be a part of this conversation, particularly with regard to the, the primary focus point today, uh, give us a call at three eight two eight two five five. That's three. To talk, You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you'd prefer to send a tweet, do so at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the
2: air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach.
0: Welcome back to our conversation about uh, taking a knee in professional football and the legal ramifications of that. Mitch, do you think this um, this whole discussion is a good thing? Is this good for the country to be going through this kind of a, a dialogue?
1: I think so. I think uh, political discussions and people having opposing views, uh, That's always a great thing in in America. Yeah.
0: And this, we should point out, was also extended beyond the football field when uh, certain uh, players refused to go to the White House, uh, really making the same point.
1: I, I don't know that they're making the point about law enforcement, but they're certainly making a point about inequality.
0: Would this discussion be any different if, in fact, players were protesting the anthem? As opposed to their their quest for racial justice?
1: I don't think so. Again, uh, now we are getting back into the analogy that I made earlier about flag burning. You may not like it. It may be very offensive to many, many people. But that's now we're getting into what the First Amendment does protect. Because that was a First Amendment a, a, issue. Right. Offensive speech that the government tries to quell. Yeah. Uh, if there is no politician who could come in and say, you can't burn this flag or you can't take a knee during the national anthem or protest it, or uh, you, you can be prevented from trying to stop somebody from playing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, take going over the line. But you can't, uh, you can't stop somebody from having very, uh, uh, very strong opinions about very critical issues.
0: That First Amendment is a pesky thing, isn't it? <laughs> it sure
1: is. <laughs> and as a journalist, I'm sure that you'd be a great defender of it. I am as well. Yeah.
0: Let's, uh, we have a, a listener who emailed us. It's, uh, it's a little lengthy, but let me read it. Uh, she writes, A common complaint against nonviolent protest is that it's frustrating when traffic is blocked and that it's damaging to local businesses when they can't be accessed. But taking a knee is the ultimate expression of nonviolent protest. It inconveniences no one and hurts no local businesses. Could it be that what people like President Trump really want is for people of color to just keep quiet and not protest?
3: Uh,
1: that is a, a very intelligent, great comment.
0: Yeah. We'll take a tough phone call now. And Dennis is joining us from St. Louis. Uh, Dennis, uh, you're on the air. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. I, well, I, I was talking. Uh, you know, the thing that strikes me is the reason they're taking the is for problems with police and historical problems, uh, racial problems. and uh, But the people they're arguing with uh, changed the argument to disrespect for military and the flag. And I've been arguing with people all my life, and uh, I like to argue about the thing that we're arguing about rather than be defending something that I didn't do. The second thing is, Don, uh, I always ask my white friends, I am white, I say, how much time have you spent on the curb? And most of the time they don't know what I mean. But I can t- guarantee you if you ask an African-American about how much time you've spent on the curb, There's going to be a lot of them that know what I'm talking about. And uh, you'll drive down the street and you'll see somebody sitting on the curb and their car is being searched. And they're already guilty to the people riding by. And this is is the country we live in. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Dennis.
1: Well, Mm -hmm. I I think Dennis's point is well taken. uh, And we're not necessarily talking about the NFL protest here. What we're talking about is standing in someone else's shoes. And that's always a, a, a wonderful thing to try and do. And that's kind of what my book is about, is about racism, and uh, in this case in 1964. But even today, the only way that we're going to overcome that is on a one-to-one basis and understanding what other people are going through. You know uh, –
0: Things haven't changed a whole heck of a lot since 1964, and that's why what a lot of this protest is about. You go back to Ferguson when uh, there was a, a number – there were a number of people who were saying during that episode, oh, if only we could go back to the good old days. And the people who were protesting said that's the last thing we want to do. They weren't the good old days for me.
1: No. Uh, in 1964, as in Black Hearts, white minds, that's not a time you ever want to go back to uh, – mm-hmm. That was a time when segregation was the, the way of the southern world, and certainly it, it crept up right here to uh, St. Louis and the state of Missouri. There was a wonderful exhibition at the History Museum uh, not too long ago about the civil rights movement in St. Louis. It was alive and well, but nobody covered it.
0: Yeah. What, what, uh, what prompted you to write
1: uh, this book? In 1964, I was nine years old. And I grew up in New York, and I missed the civil rights movement. It was something that always interested me. And when it came time that uh, I I was able to sit down and write a novel, which is something I'd always wanted to do, I decided I wanted to set it in the (laughs) South in 1964 so that I could both learn about it and impart that knowledge to others.
0: Well, as an attorney, it sounds like you're uh, taking a page out of John Grisham's book because he also an attorney and also uses the South as a locale for many of his novels.
1: I believe he's from the South. Uh, originally,
3: well, he
0: wrote a lot about Memphis. So maybe, right. and, and I know he uh, he used to listen to Cardinal Baseball on <laughs> KMOX radio. He's written about that as, as well,
1: right? Uh, if anytime you want to use my name and John Grisham in the same sentence, I'm, I'm very happy about that. But uh, my story is about a an assistant U.S. attorney from New York who lies his way into a transfer to Alabama to enforce the Civil Rights Act mm. and has no clue what he's getting himself into in the segregated South. Well,
0: I've just uh, received a copy of that book, and I'm looking forward to reading it. The name is uh, Black Hearts and White Minds. Mitch Margot is, uh, is the author. Getting back to the subject at hand, Mitch, um, is there a difference between taking a knee and raising a fist? And I ask that because of the outcry in 1968 when the two Olympic athletes, Juan Carlos and... The other name escapes me at the moment. Raise their raise their fist at the Olympics. Uh,
1: Thomas. Thomas. Yes. Yeah. John Thomas. Yeah. Oh. Well, is there a difference? Um, no. I'm sorry. Tommy Smith.
0: Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Right. right. Yeah. Um,
1: no, there is no difference except for the historical significance that you just brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's any number of ways that you can protest: uh, taking a knee, uh, raising a fist, turning your back. Uh, wearing an American flag uh, on your, mm-hmm. the back of your trousers. Uh, I've seen them all throughout history. Mm-hmm. and they're, It's just a matter of how you want to express yourself. Right.
0: Let's take another call. Mark is going to join us from Chesterfield. Mark, thank you. You're on the air.
2: Hey, thank you for taking my call today. So this is not pertaining to whether they have a right to express their political views or not, but I'm calling regarding the employer's right to exercise their authority over their employees when the employee is on the clock and so they're getting paid to perform a certain service for the employer and the employer's customers i.e those in attendance at the game so i would think that the discussion is really much more important to discuss uh as an employee i i get paid i'm an employee and i can't just break out in the middle of my work day and and make some political statement and expect my employer to just you know honor that and you know quit working so that i can express my political views the other thing i would say is if you look at other entertainment um let's say watch a tv show tonight the actor on the tv uh doesn't break into a personal political statement uh if that were the case obviously the director of that program would say cut and they would retape it uh what people do on their personal time is i think what's ultimately protected. But during, when they're on the clock, I think the employer's got a lot more uh, say on what they can and can't do. So I'll, I'll just listen to your response. Uh, I'll hang up and listen to your response. Thank you.
1: Well, my response is that, again, this is not your normal employee. Uh, if you were an employee who was in the top one half of 1% of the talent pool in your particular um, if in your occupation, as these NFL players are, these they are the best at what they do. And if you caught 27 touchdown passes last year and made $20 million or $120 million for the owner of the company, maybe that company owner would say, oh, you know what? If you want to protest during the national anthem before the game, I'm OK with that. Mm-hmm. If you were that kind of employee, this may not be a legal question, But that is part of what's going on here. Technically,
0: uh, one question could come up, are they on the clock until they actually step on the field to play as opposed to standing around before the game?
1: Right. And again, we still – that pesky little – Collective bargaining agreement is out there to determine what they can do and what they can't do. And again, that's also a difference between this situation and Mark's situation.
0: And uh, also, Mark, uh, I should point out that Robert De Niro didn't have any problem (laughs) making a protest comment at the Academy Awards the last time uh, they were held. We have Eric, a listener in St. Louis, just sent us an email saying regarding the question of when the anthem began playing during NFL games. According to an article published on the website Oxios last year, the playing of the national anthem during NFL games began sometime in 1941 42 after the U.S. entered uh, into World War II. However, players weren't required to be, were not required to be on the field for the anthem until 2009. So there's a little history lesson for us there.
1: Very interesting.
0: What uh, kind of recourse does uh, Colin Kaepernick have, if any, with regard to his um, situation? He's been essentially blackballed, many people say.
1: Well, there is a case going on right now where uh, he has filed a grievance uh, with the NFL and with the uh, uh, where he has an attorney representing him. Uh, and that is in the nature of uh, a conspiracy, if you will, that the NFL owners all got together and colluded to prevent him from earning a living. Uh, I am not a football expert when it comes to ability. People I know who are say that Colin Kaepernick is good enough to be a starting quarterback and would perhaps be the best backup quarterback that any team could have. And I think that's in his favor when it comes to the question: Why is it that no one will employ him?
0: And there's that pesky word collusion again, <laughs> again which we've been hearing a lot about, uh, hearing a lot about lately. What, uh, what about the president's call for suspending players without pay?
1: How does that work into this discussion? Once again, uh, just like every other citizen, the president is entitled to his opinion. He certainly has a bully pulpit uh, in order to express it, but it has no bearing whatsoever on, on what – Reality is in this situation
0: do we have any sense uh, as to how long this thing is going to play out i mean does it doesn 't it have to be settled fairly quickly?
1: I would like to see it settled fairly quickly, uh, but we're going to it looks like we're going Sunday to Sunday this fall Don hmm.
0: do you have any any uh, suspicion as to how it might work out you 've been alluding to the fact that it 's in the interest certainly of the owners to come to something that will come to an agreement that will be satisfactory to the players.
1: Well, I think, I think it's in everybody's best interest to figure out some way in which the players can express their, uh, their views and that the, and the game will continue to flourish. Uh, the game certainly has lots of problems other than this one, uh, but th- there's, there's a way out.
0: Well, Mitch Margot, thank you so much for being with us and uh, helping us out and understanding this issue. It's been great talking to you, and once again, the book is, I want to mention, Black Heart and White Minds, available uh, in local bookstores, I'm sure. Thank you.